another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. One of the things that we are constantly saying to our kids is it's not a competition. Like everything gets turned into a competition with our kids eating dinner, setting the table, whatever it is. It's just this competition. And I've found though sometimes that you can turn it into your into favor, into a good thing. And uh, we were on our way home uh, from church just a few weeks ago and popped into the 7-Eleven and I got the kids an ice cream. And as we were about to get into the car, I said to Zion, oh, can mum please have an ice cream, a bit of your ice cream, buddy, that I brought for you? And, um, and Zion looks at me, he's like, mum, and hope sees this happen. And she gets in there quickly and she's like, mum, you can have a bite of my ice cream. And as she's saying this, she's talking to me, but looking at Zion at the same time, like, I just rolled you. And then, so I go to have a bite of uh, Hope's ice cream, and then uh, Zion pipes up, and he's like, no, Mum, you can have a bite of my ice cream while looking at Hope at the same time. And so I go for a bite of his, and then they just go for it, like this battle between each other. No, Mum, you can have my ice cream. And all the while, I'm just eating their ice cream. I'm like, this is brilliant, and I need to keep teaching them a lesson here about competition, so I'm just going to keep eating their ice cream, and it was funny, we were in this moment, and I felt kind of God drop into my spirit. See, that's the thing about competition. You get so rived up in the moment that there's actually no point to it. It gets you nowhere, but the thing is, as us as humans, we can be so competitive, There's something in us that so wants to be the best, that wants to be better than everybody else. And I love that in the Bible that we see this with the disciples. I mean, the ones Jesus chose to change the world, the 12 that he chose to carry on his ministry, to bring hope to the world, his message to everyone. Come on, the pioneers of his church, the rock that he was to build his church on. Yet we find them in Luke 9, verse 46 to 49, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. It goes on, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child, had him stand beside him, and he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Come on, isn't that encouraging that even the disciples were having this argument? I mean, we wouldn't overtly have those arguments today. Can you imagine walking up into the floor of church and there's this group of guys all around in a circle and they're kind of having this battle between each other like, I'm the best. No, 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 I'm the best. Like, I'm I'm better than you at that. No, 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 I'm the best. Can you imagine it happening? Like today it kind of just takes place through platforms like Fantasy NRL, just... Just saying. And thank, thank you so much, guys, for getting my husband into that. Like, I so appreciate it. Like, the nights we're on the couch together and he's searching up his team and who can be on his team. And it's just so good for our quality time. So thank, thank you for that. But it's a little bit more subtle how we do it today. The competitiveness... We don't overtly have those kind of arguments, but there's something that wages on the inside of us. You know, that need to be better than others, that need to be the best. You know, it's funny, we think that's how we get ahead in life, 
is by being the best. That if you win, then I lose. And if I win, then you lose. I mean, that's why comparison is so big today. Because we think that our worth is based on how we're competing with everybody else. I mean, you think about it, you think you're kind of doing okay as a parent and then you get on Instagram, you're strolling through Instagram and you see this post from another parent and they're just saying how, you know, their child got school council and straight A's and sports captain and remembers a, a memory verse every week and helps an old lady across the street. And, you know, meanwhile, you're celebrating the fact that your kids ate vegetables for dinner. And there's this sense of, I thought I was doing okay until I measured myself against somebody else. And today we talk about it in terms of comparison, but it's actually competing against each other. Come on, we, we find that our worth is based on how we're doing with others, how we're competing against others. And God never designed our lives to be like that. So we end up missing the point in it all where we're in this competition between each other. See, Jesus is saying in this passage, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever's the least amongst you and the greatest. He's saying, come on, your worth isn't in how you compete against, it, in, against each other. It's actually found in how you serve each other and what you give to each other. Come on, our worth is found in not making our life better than everybody else's, but in serving others more. Come on, Jesus modeled it so incredibly. Come on, the night before He's about to go to the cross, to give His life on the cross, to give His life for humanity, to give His life for you and I, to go through complete agony. Come on, the Bible says He was dripping with blood because He was so agonized. And you would think in that night He had all the right in the world to be served because, he was, because of what He was about to go through. But He gets on His knees and He washes His disciples' feet. Come on, the lowliness of all positions. He gets down to their feet and he serves his disciples. Come on, the Son of Man, the Bible says. The Son of God. Jesus Christ did not come to serve. Sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve. Come on, how unbelievable is that? The king of the universe, come on, the one that was the conqueror of all, the conqueror of death, come on, everything was at the tip of his fingers. He called, could have called all of heaven to attendance, yet he was the greatest of all servants. Come on, if, if that's the way he modeled it, that's the way we're called to be as well, to be the greatest of all servants. See, when we hear, see Mark 10, verse 46 to, so 44 to 46, it says, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for men. When we hear serving today, you know, we often hear the word serving and think of it being confined to particular hours, particular times. Come on, we come to church to fulfill a role to serve. A nurse goes to the hospital and serves her patients in those allocated hours. A teacher serves her students in those allocated hours. Service today is based around hours, but in biblical times, a servant, it was their lifestyle. They were there for their master day in, day out. They were owned by their master. They were a slave. So when Jesus is talking about serving, he's actually talking about giving our entire lives Come on, giving every part of who we are. Not just it being this particular role we play, but it being a lifestyle that we embrace. See, I love this thought that 
that in biblical times, sorry, a servant was a slave. So today, as servanthood is not a role we play. It's a life we choose to embrace. In Romans 12, it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Come on, I love that. Come on, servanthood, it's a lifestyle He's called us to embrace. Not a position to fill, not a role that we play, but something that we embrace with our entire lives. See, self comes so naturally. Our need for self, you think of it, a children. Come on, it's natural to go for the biggest piece of cake, the best toy. And we have to make sure that we keep pushing self down. Come on, dying to self, like Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 38, whoever does not want to take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Come on, we've got to keep killing the self thing in us that would need to rise up. Because we actually find that when you die to self, you actually find life. I've been reading this week a, a passage by Viktor Frankl, who was a really well-known um, uh, psychologist and psychiatric, uh, he's treated psychiatric patients and he survived the Holocaust. And when he was in a concentration camp, he just observed patients and he found the ones that did the best in the concentration camps were the ones that served others. The ones that looked out for others, that walked amongst the camp comforting people, that gave away their last pieces of bread, that weren't consumed with self and their own failure or their own disappointment, but found meaning in the middle of such terror. And he says this, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it your target, the more you're gonna miss it. For success like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than, one, than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. How powerful is that? Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 10, verse 39. Those who try to gain their own life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will gain it. Come on, it's making that conscious decision to put self to the side and put God in the driver's seat to allow Him to take control, to allow Him to have authority in our lives, to trust Him. And who knows, the battle is real when you're in the passenger seat sometimes. You know, when someone else is driving you maybe and you head up to an intersection, there's like 15 cars in one lane and there's only two in the other lane. And whoever is driving you decides just to park up behind the 15 other cars rather than go in the other lane with just two. And you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what a waste of time. Can we just go in the other lane, please? Like it could be a challenge just to sit there and not say anything, just to be in the passenger seat. I mean, my hubby, I've got to be honest, is the worst at this. Like, we, we've been to camps before, to speaking engagements where we have someone driving us because we're, we're not in the state, you know, we don't have a car, so you're driven around. And like, 
It only takes one trip of someone else driving, and then the next thing I know, Craig's driving us around with, with the person that's meant to be driving. He's now in the driver's seat, and, and I personally love it because he's an aggressive driver, so, you know, I don't get, like, too annoyed about how he drives, but it's great as a passenger because you just chill out, you relax, you go to sleep, you enjoy the journey. Because someone else is in control. And I reckon God's like that with us. He's like, would you just relax? Would you just sit in the passenger seat? Would you just chill out and let me do this for you? Come on, let me take control. Let me drive you where I know you need to go. Because you know, sometimes I think we struggle with letting self die because we think if we really surrender, if we really live this life where God, you're just like, give my life as an offering to you. This is part of us that questions, man, can I really trust him? Has he really got good in store for me? And I wanna encourage us today, man, he is a good dad. He can be so trusted. Come on, he knows you better than you know yourself. Come on, he knows the giftings that's on you. He knows the future he's got for you. Come on, the Bible says a future of good, not evil. Come on, you can trust him. I kind of learned this lesson the hard way when I was 18 years old, just about the goodness of a father. And I, all through my life, had done things like ballet and netball and piano, really girly things. And I decided that I wanted to play rugby union one day at school. And uh, I was, you know, in year 13, uh, year 12 at that stage. And I just thought, you know what, I want to bust out of the box. I want to do something new. And so I remember coming home from school and saying, oh, I joined up to the girls rugby union team, Dad. And <clears throat> I remember Dad being like, you are not playing rugby union. And I was like, yes, I am. I want to play this. He's like, Nads, you're not built to play rugby. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm just going to prove you wrong and I'm going to play rugby. And so it was probably the one time that I defied my dad and uh, I went ahead and played this one game of rugby union. And I still remember we went to Waihe College and uh, our team of girls were up against this other team of girls. And I was obviously one of the smallest on the team, but I was pretty quick. So I was put on as winger. And uh, I got a try. I'm like, my dad was wrong. There you go. I'm in my zone. This is awesome. And then there was this one moment where there was just me between the try line and another girl from the opposing team that was coming my way. And, and so as she was coming to me, I'm like, Nads, you're in your destiny. Come on, you need to take her out, like take her down. And so I remember going and tackling this girl, but I kind of didn't tackle right. And as I tackled her, her elbow went into my nose and she landed pretty much the full weight of her body on my nose. And it broke my nose, like it pushed one side of my nose down into like the, the ear part of your nose, like it, and I ended up breaking my nose. And I remember going off the rugby field and just thinking, why did that have to happen? And I remember going to ER and sitting in the emergency department and just thinking to myself, I've got to call my dad. Like I was so wrong, why did I not listen? And then I actually had to go for two operations where they tried to lift it back up again, but that wasn't successful. So a year later, I had to go back where they rebroke the entire nose and then put it all back together again. Everyone's looking at my nose right now, aren't you? 
<laughs> Just like, where, where's the dent now? But this is a nice plastic surgeon's job at reconstructing a nose. And I'll show you what I looked like after that operation. If we've got that picture. There you go. I know. And this was like, <laughs> aren't you glad you married that, babe? <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually like two days afterwards. So when it was just one day, like that eye was so swollen shut that I couldn't even open it. And I had those pads on my nose because it just bled for two days straight. So I went through a lot of pain. You can take that off screen. <laughs> I went through a lot of pain that I didn't need to go through if I had just listened to my dad. If I had just not been trying to prove a point, trying to do my thing, and I just listened instead. And I feel like God is knocking on the door of some of our hearts today. And he's saying, come on, would you let it go? Would you trust me? Come on, would you really lay your life down as an offering? Come on, embracing everything that I've done for you and giving me everything. Come on, put him in the driver's seat because he'll take you to a good place. He can be trusted. So what we're going to look at this morning is what a lifestyle of servanthood looks like. I've just got three points. And the first point is that a lifestyle of servanthood looks like a life that makes an active decision to partner. Makes an active decision to partner. Come on, it's the revelation that any achievement... Anything great we do with our lives is because of what we partner with, not what we do on our own. Come on, that's why I love when we walk up the stairs, that sign that says together we can do great things. Because it's in our partnering that we're fully released into God's um, purpose for our lives and the expression of God's kingdom is outworked here on this earth. See, every milestone in human history wasn't just because of an individual but a collective force. When you think about it, the man who walked on the moon, we all know Neil Armstrong and the team that actually ended up walking on the moon, but they were actually only 0.0005% of the full Apollo 11 team. It took an estimated 400,000 scientists, engineers, and technicians to send them to the moon. From the seamstress who sewed 21 layers of fabric into each space suit to the contractors scattered across the country, he never made parts for the space travel before. Come on, and all 400,000 who were part of it knew that they were part of that landmark moment in history. Come on, for us to do anything great is because of what we partner with. And that's why I love God's house. I love his church. Come on, look at what we achieved yesterday, being love in our community, being such a light. Come on, I had friends that came from school and they couldn't stop raving about it and they know it's the church that is just there to love that community and the seed that puts in, in someone's life that opens them up to God's love. Come on, it's amazing. But it's because of every single part that we contribute Come on, the amazing team that was here at six o'clock setting everything up. And come on, I think of our incredible kids team that worked all day, came back here and set up for the kids party this morning. And our operations team that set up all the foyer part today. Come on, and they worked all day Saturday. Come on, it's because of the collective force. 
It's not about doing our own thing, our vision, our dreams. Come on, it's what we bring together to the whole. Come on, it's about serving the bigger picture, serving what is greater. Come on, bringing our best. Come on, it's every part doing their part. Ephesians 4 verse 16, from Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Come on, it's about giving our best wherever, whenever. Come on, that's what Craig and I have done for 15 years. We've been part of church. It's just been wherever, whatever. Come on, it's not about my agenda. It's not about what I want. It's not about our needs. Come on, it's bringing God whatever, whenever. And I love that spirit is all through who we are as a church. Come on, God, whatever, whenever it is, I'm willing. I'm putting up my hand. Come on, I love that spirit about who we are as a church. Come on, the guys yesterday that were in the mascot, the Olaf suit. Come on, a 30-degree day. And they're in that suit. I remember one part going up and chatting to someone. I'm like, so who is that in that suit? And it was Joel Spiteri. And I'm like, mate, how you doing? And he's like, six minutes in and I'm sweating. Like sweat is pouring off my body. But he's like, it doesn't matter though, because when I got into the suit, it was wet with somebody else's sweat anyway. <laughs> I'm like, just that attitude, whatever, whenever. Come on, it's not about my needs. It's not about what I want. It's about God, would you use us? Come on, I love that we have a church. God, would you use us? Would you use us to touch a nation? Come on, would you use us to touch this city? Would you use us to touch our community? Would you use us to touch people? Come on, in a good way. I love that. I love that about who we are as a church. Come on, let's never lose that. That whatever, whenever we are in to partner with something that is far bigger than ourselves. See, what I love about it is working together, it grows us as people. See, working together, it produces frustrations. Come on, we get annoyed with each other. Come on, you didn't do that, or you didn't fulfill that, or you didn't meet my need there, or I'm not recognized where I need to be. It brings up this stuff in us. And it, when it brings up this stuff in it, us, it means that our self dies. And the more self dies in us, the more God can live in us. And because of that, it means that we're bigger and better people. Come on, there is such power in partnering. Come on, there is power in partnering when we're not doing our best. Because we get support from each other. Come on, God's church, it's a family. Come on, it's where we have love and support. Come on, I love the illustration of geese flying together and creating the V. And the, the effects of flying together, come on, is 75% more effective when geese fly together in a V than when they're on their own. And it's like they're in life. Come on, we become better when we're with each other, when we partner with each other, when we join our lives with others rather than live isolated and on our own. Come on, you're not called to live isolated. There is a family here that wants to love you and we need to keep communicating our needs to each other so that we grow together, that we, there is this beautiful community of love. So the second thing about a lifestyle of servanthood is that it looks like a life that lives from a place of gratitude rather than entitlement. Psalm 50, I love what it says in verse 23, a life that pleases me, this is God speaking, is a life lived in the gratitude of grace, always choosing to walk with me in what is right. 
This is the sacrifice I desire from you. If you do this, more of my salvation will unfold for you. I love that passage, a life lived in the gratitude of grace. Come on, do we live that kind of life that lives in the gratitude of grace? Come on, do we live with that knowledge of what God has done in our world? Come on, who He is. Come on, the fact that we have eternity, that we have heaven with Him, that He saved us from our wrestle with self, from our own our anxieties, our fears, our disappointments, the stuff that we couldn't work through on our own. Come on, our God has saved us from that. Do we live with that kind of gratitude or have we got used to His grace? Come on, and now a thing that's kind of over the side there is there was a moment of salvation for us, but now we're kind of over here doing our own thing. You know, when I was in high school, I loved playing the piano and I remember begging my parents for a new piano because the one we had was just so out of tune and it couldn't be tuned anymore. And I begged them for this beautiful Yamaha piano. I remember giving dad back scratches at night, like trying to convince him to get me this piano. And, and when he finally gave me this piano, gave it to our whole family, when he finally got this piano, I remember treasuring it so much. I would play four hours a day leading up to exams. And I remember doing the exams and then Life just happened and I got caught up in other things. And what was once this incredibly treasured gift was just now put to the side. And I would remember it when I walked past it, but was not actively engaged with it. Now, 20 years later, I honestly couldn't play a tune on a piano at all. Because what was once an incredible gift has just now not been activated and come on, we can be like that with God's grace. Come on, we once were saved. We lived in this credible revelation of how good God is. Come on, how much He loves us, how much He gave for us. Come on, how good He is that the God of the universe would send His perfect Son to die for us. And we live in that revelation, but then life happens and we get busy caught up doing other things, and we lose the wonder of living in that gratitude, living in the gratitude of His grace. Come on, because when you live in the gratitude of His grace, serving isn't an issue, because you just do it others' place of, man, I just want to serve you, Jesus. It's not about what I get from others. It's not about my position. It's not about the role. It's not about my value. Man, I just love you, Jesus. And this beautiful sense of gratitude. Come on, have we got that gratitude? Are we walking in the gratitude of His grace? I love talking to an incredible couple here that in church that just serve and serve and serve and serve. They're just incredible and nothing is ever an issue. And I remember saying to them one day, man, you guys are amazing. You just always give your best. You're so happy about doing it. It's never an issue. And I remember them saying to me, well, we know what God saved us from. So this, it's the least we can do. Come on, have we lost that wonder? Because come on, the more we serve, the more entitled that we can feel. Come on, look at what I'm doing for you, God. Look at all this and I'm working for you. Come on, God, shouldn't you give me back? Or church, come on, look at what I'm doing for you. Come on, shouldn't you give me a little bit back? 
And this entitlement sets in. And come on, that entitlement is dangerous because God is not on that entitlement. Come on, the Bible says He loves a cheerful giver. Come on, we've got to keep our spirit being that place of servanthood of God, whatever it is. Come on, it's not about me. It's not about my entitlement. Watch that attitude, guys. Come on, if you feel that creeping into your spirit, watch it because it's not God honoring and God is not on it. It's part of our flesh and we've got to kill it. We've got to keep pressing it down. Come on. Let's make sure that we keep bringing it back to what truly matters. That's why it says in Luke 17 verse 10, again, Jesus speaking, he says, you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have just done our duty. We are unworthy servants. We've just done our duty. Come on, we've got to keep living in the gratitude of grace. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who again, is an incredible uh, thinker and theologian and, again, a psychologist. And in his letters and papers from prison, again, he was in a concentration camp. And he says this, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his net and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked, asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such co- grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it, because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. We were brought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered us up, Him up for us. Costly grace. Grace is not flippant. It's not there to be thrown around. Come on, it costs God something dearly. And let's make sure we see it with the same gratitude as that. And the last point in this lifestyle of servanthood, it has a divine and eternal source. It has a divine and eternal source. You know, we hear a lot today about this term burnout. You know, if you give too much, if you serve too much, you're going to burn out. We hear it a lot today. And I kind of just want to smash that thinking around that today. Because I don't think it's God-honoring at all. Yes, I believe we've got to have healthy boundaries, and that's why God says that we should always have a Sabbath, one day a week where we are just serving Him, loving Him, enjoying our life, doing whatever we can to fill, replenish our souls. But at the same same time, you know, burnout does not happen because a candle burns too long or too hard. I'm just going to bring this illustration this morning. So this light here, it does not burn... It does not burn out because it burns too long or too hard. See, that's what we're fooled into believing. That if we give too much, if we serve too much, that you're going to burn out because you've given too much for too long. But see, a flame 
goes out because, firstly, it's disconnected from its fuel supply. So if I cut off this wick, it's disconnected from the wax that will keep burning it. And it's like that in our lives. when We are disconnected from our fuel supply. And when it comes to kingdom, the fuel supply is the why behind what we do. It's people. Come on, if we get disconnected about the why that it all comes back to people, then we will burn out. There won't be the sense of, God, I want to give more because we become disconnected from the why. Come on, we've got to keep the why as ultimate priority. And I know in my life that God constantly challenges me about this. I remember at the beginning of the year coming back from our holiday, and it's always this sense of when you come back from holidays, it's a challenge of, okay, self wants to dominate again, but I need to lay my life down before you again, God. And I remember we flew on on the Friday afternoon from New Zealand as a family, and the next morning I was speaking in Sydney at C3, and we had to be up at 4.30 and I had Ezekiel with me. I had to take him because I was still feeding him. We're on a plane early in the morning. I remember complaining to God, like, man, God, this is a big jolt back to reality. Like, seriously, like, why do I have to, like, get in this fast? And, and I remember speaking in Sydney for the day. And after my message, this girl came up to me and she said, hey, I just wanted to encourage you that four years ago, when you came and spoke at one of our youth events, I was just in this place where... I felt no purpose. I was about to take my life. I didn't know Jesus at all. And you spoke this message called, You Are Wanted. And you said how there's a God that sees me. And she said that, light, that night, my life was radically changed. I went on this journey of discovering Jesus and my life has never been the same again. And she was, four years later, she'd gone through um, C3 college. She was just this beautiful, stunning girl. And she just said, I wanna thank you for everything you've done, you know, to, to speak into my life, to even being here today, I just wanted to say thank you. And I felt God just slap me on the face in that moment and just say, what was it that you were complaining about again? Like seriously, we can complain about so much if we lose our focus on the bigger picture. Come on, if we lose our focus on the why, Come on, it's about souls, it's about eternity, it's about people discovering the love of Jesus. Come on, whether on a car park team, the sound desk, come on, kids ministry, every single part of what we do here, it all comes back to people. Come on, my friends that have come to church, they haven't raved about the message, they've raved about how somebody brought them into a car park welcomed them as they came up the stairs, got a beautiful coffee for them. Come on, the entire experience Open them up to God's love. Come on, every part of what we bring, it comes back to people. Come on, every part of what we do in life, it's got to come back to people and the why behind what we do. You know, the other thing that causes a flame to go out, again, this whole thing of burnout, is not because it burns too long or too hard but because it loses its oxygen supply. Now, our oxygen supply comes from a divine source, it comes from God's presence in our lives. It comes from Him fueling us, finding that secret place. And you know, we may start and we may feel like it's all okay, but it's only a matter of time before the flame goes out because we've lost that source. 
we've lost that oxygen supply. Come on, we've got to find the secret place, that place where God's love, His presence just fills us, it refreshes us, it restores us, it remakes us. Come on, He will always ask us to do things that are far beyond our own ability, far beyond our own natural boundaries, far beyond who we are in ourselves. And because of that, we've got to rely on His Spirit and His presence. Otherwise, the flame goes out. I love what it says in Zechariah 4 verse 6. So God said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. Come on, we're only able to serve because we're connected to His presence. We're connected to His Spirit. How amazing is our God that He replenishes us in that way, that He connects with us in that way, that we are not on our own. You know, I love one of my favorite songs at the moment is Here Again. And I love that line. Sorry, Nigel, you can join me. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Come on, we are not enough on our own. We are not enough without Him. We are people who are desperately in need of Him and His presence. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.